Corinthians, Paul talks a lot about the gifts of the Spirit, right? prophecy and tongues, for example, and, and other ones. And again, that is the same word for languages. But this is different than 1 Corinthians 14. Some people say, oh, you know what's wrong with our church? We have to get back to being Acts 2 and, and the second chapter of Acts. You know, they were a great Christian band back in the day. Acts chapter 2, but really, we need to get back to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14 does refer to tongues of angels and, and tongues of men. And so it's a different kind of gift that is given in 1 Corinthians 14. This here is a tongue, this is a language. People were given the ability to speak in other languages at the day of Pentecost. Also, um, I meant to mention this at the beginning, but as we read through this, this fantastic stuff that's happening, Acts chapter 2, one of the questions you may have is, um, is, this, um, is this repeatable? And should we be... To be seeking this, like, what is this? What's wrong? Like, we need to have another act to experience, like, or what part of this is something that we can seek and repeat? Is this just a one-time thing, or is it repeatable thing? So, recognizing that this happened on the day of Pentecost, a big Jewish holiday that is commemorates the the covenant relationship, the giving of the law. The same day, that the same time that all the Jews around the world are celebrating this, this new covenant is established, right? This, the covenant of the Spirit, not the covenant of the law, but we live by the Spirit. And so God isn't going to give exactly the same, like every generation is not making a new covenant, right? And so some of these things are things that we can realize this happened once and that's it, but there might be other parts of the story that we think, okay, this can be repeatable. These are things that we should be looking for and maybe seeking. So that's a question we'll return to a little bit later. So Acts chapter 2, verse 4, let's move on to verse 5. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. We know that, right? They're, they came for the day of uh, the Passover and they stayed, or they've gone and they've returned. There are people from all over, uh, from every nation under heaven. This is, as far as they knew, um, there are seven different, many different countries and languages mentioned in a little bit. None of the languages from a little bit further away, like Spain, are mentioned, so even though that existed back then. So this is just, it's kind of like um, making a point. Like every nation, not literally every nation, but from every nation under heaven that, that they know of is coming together here in Jerusalem. Perfect time for the new covenant to be established. So when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. I don't know how many languages are represented here. I know there's more than one. I know there's more than two. Some of you have different uh, mother tongues, and some of you have learned second or third languages, but can you imagine all of a sudden everyone just starts talking in a language that you recognize? I do have some notes here. Verse 7 and 8. Utterly amazed, they asked, um, like, aren't all these like who are speaking Galileans? So obviously Galilean meant something uh, to them. Like, they were, they're surprised that a Galilean could speak different languages. So aren't all these people who are speaking Galileans, like, I don't expect them to know another language, or I'm not sure exactly what does that mean, really, but it means something. Aren't all these speak, those who are speaking Galileans, and how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? So it's interesting that they were able to pick out that these people are Galileans. They're not from, you know, my home. Like, you don't know everyone in your home country, right, as they, they come. They could have just, maybe that was their mother tongue, but somehow they knew that's not your mother tongue, but you're speaking it. And so there's, many have, um, have suggested that there's part of the, 
perhaps it's their, their dialect, or, you know, like if I were to try to speak French, you'd say, okay, he's definitely not a Francophone, uh, but you know how Anglophones try to speak French and it sounds like, I was going to say someone's name, but I won't, uh, one of the leaders of whatever. <laughs> it's good to learn French, especially if you want to be a politician. Um, but you can tell, right? So um, probably these Galileans, they still kept their, 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 they were different. The way they spoke, they were speaking fluently, but it was something different, I can tell. I already speak Japanese or, you know, a little bit of Korean, right? Anyo haseyo, but it doesn't sound like a Korean, right, when I say that? Do I? I don't do I. So, um, somehow. So I think that's, that's really kind of cool when I think of that because when the Spirit comes and fills us and he gives us with gifts, like he's not going to overrule our personality. So just because everyone has the gift of teaching, we're not all going to teach exactly the same way or everyone has the gift of prophecy. We're not all going to like say, it's not going to sound exactly the same. There's still part of our character and our personality and our history that plays a part of it. So, these people are filled with the Holy Spirit. They start speaking, yet people realize, yeah, I think you're still Galilean, but how is it that each of us hears them speaking in our own uh, native language? The other, and um, I did put every verse on here, so we'll speed up a little bit, and then we'll slow down a little bit more um, at the end. So what happened then, um, there are Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, and I don't even know if I'm pronouncing this right, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia. If you don't know if you pronounce it right, just be bold, and people will believe you. Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and other parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonder of God in our own tongues. All these fantastic languages. Verse 12, and he says, Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Isn't that what kind of you're asking to? Maybe like, what, what does this mean? Maybe it meant something different. Then what does it mean for us today? What does this mean? So this is pretty amazing, right? There was this violent wind, tongues of fire. All of a sudden, people start speaking other languages, and everyone's like, How, what is going on? This is pretty fantastic. And so some people are amazed and perplexed, and like, what does this mean? And other people are like, they just start making fun of them. Oh, they just had, you know, too much wine. It's early in the morning, but I don't know, they're having some wine. So they're just making fun of them. Does that make sense to you, though? Like, this is pretty miraculous. Like, can't you see that there's something happening? This must be from God. Like, this is incredible. And yet, sometimes when we experience miracles, even ourselves, we always have other ways to explain it, don't we? Oh, I don't know if that was really miraculous. It was, it was another explanation for it. And sometimes we pray for you know, God, just show them a miracle, and then they'll believe. And you see many stories, even in Jesus' life, too, where people saw amazing, yet they still didn't, the faith was not produced in their life. Right? So sometimes, like, that was pretty amazing. But I think we can relate to that sometimes. We see crazy things, we see amazing things. Sometimes God answers our prayer, and still it doesn't produce faith in us often. Or maybe, I don't know, sometimes, right? So it's just, I thought this was very fun. How could you, like, be making fun of them. This is amazing. And I don't know what I would have, how I would have reacted if I was there. But that's, this is um, important, and we'll come back to that, but this miracle didn't really produce faith. But faith is produced a little bit later on. So how is faith produced? Let's keep reading. Verse 14, Peter stood up with the eleven, and he raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. He said, fellow Jews and all of you who are living in Jerusalem. Remember, all these people came, right? Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people aren't drunk. As you suppose, it's only nine in the morning. So he addresses their concern. That, yeah, so you have objections, sure. Okay, but now let me read to you from Scripture. 
And he talks about, he says, verse 16, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, and so he's referring to these days now, in the last days, God says, I pour my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and bills of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And then he says this in verse 21. And everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone, all people will be saved. And so he's addressing their concern, but then he goes back to Scripture. He says, remember this, when Joel was prophesying about when the Spirit, this new day was going to come, it's happening now. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I think that is funny coming from Peter, because if you keep reading through Acts, but remember Peter a little bit later? Like, he's preaching this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then, like chapter 10, he's like, yeah, but not Gentiles. Right? Isn't he kind of, he's like, no, that's unclean. Oh, I could never go eat in, in their home. So it's, it's like he's preaching this, but he doesn't really fully, I totally get that. You preach something and then you don't really fully understand what you're saying and then you're like, oh, okay, there's implications for my life too. Right? And you realize that maybe like a month later or like years later. And um, I know some of you have really good memories, so it kind of scares me because you're like, you said this one time. I'm like, I did? Um, so I see that happen with Peter. So I'm like Peter, see? Because uh, he said everyone will be saved, but then he doesn't really act that way, right? And he's really prejudiced against Gentiles until he has this another miraculous experience and God shows him that it's clean. All food is clean. And this is for Gentiles too, not just for Jews. And so it took him maybe a little bit, but wasn't he preaching that this time? Everyone, right? Jew, Gentile, slave, free, man, woman, whoever. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Maybe that's happened with you sometimes um, as well. Let's keep reading then. And then he... He, so he, he refers to Joel and he refers to other parts of, of the uh, Bible. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this Jesus. Listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. But we know that doesn't always produce faith, right? Which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, you put him to death by nailing him to the cross. He's a... Maybe that's like their version of the hell and fire, uh, brimstone preachers. But you killed Jesus, is what he said, right? But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then he talks you know, from uh, another part of, their, of, um, of the Old Covenant, another part of the Old Testament. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices, my body will also rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to... The realm of the dead, you will not let your holy one see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. He's saying, look, this, this can't be referring to David, because David's dead. You know, where like, we can all go visit his tomb. This is referring to this Jesus of Nazareth. He says, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life. We're all witnesses of it. Like, it just happened at the, the Passover celebration 50 days ago. You remember. A lot of you were here. Right? You remember. We're all witnesses of this. We saw it. God raised him. 
this Jesus, he raised him to life, exalted to the right hand of God. Right? He's talking about the ascension again. He has received from the power, from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see in here. This is it. This is the promised pouring out of the Holy Spirit. For David did not ascend into heaven. And yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Right? The most popular verse uh, in first century. Psalm 110, verse 1. He said, it's talking about the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, he says that all Israel will be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now, verse 37. So when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? To see what happened there. After the miraculous signs, after the tongues of fire, after the people speaking all these languages they didn't know, people were perplexed and amazed, and others were like making fun of them. Oh, they're just drunk. But the Peter gets up and he preaches, and he talks about Jesus, and he reads from the scripture. And then, look at the difference. When the people heard this, they're cut to the heart. They say, okay, what shall we do? And as you know, we've read this before, 3,000 people became believers that day, from 120 to 3,000. So sometimes miracles, when you pray for people, yeah, but that doesn't always produce faith. But talk about Jesus. Open the word of God to them and say, like, if we do what Peter did, like some homiletics classes say, oh, Peter, that was an awful sermon. There's no alliteration. There's no three points. You know, like, where was your opening? Where was your closing? But he recognizes, okay, you have an issue. You think they're drunk. So he addresses it, but then he moves on and goes right to Jesus. And then people are cut to the heart. And they're like, oh, now what do we do? What shall we do? So sometimes in your relationships and your friendships and conversations, people have lots of all sorts of objections. You don't want to ignore them, but just... Bring it back to Jesus, and let's, let's talk about Jesus. And often when the word, the living word, is revealed and open to them, then they, people, that's how faith is, is produced. You know, many people talk about uh, Muslims these days who have visions of Jesus and they're becoming Christians because of it. They aren't actually becoming Christians. Um, you know, we have people, um, the Lowen, some of you know them, and, and they'll attest to this. It, those visions don't really bring faith. It starts a journey, and they think, oh, Maybe I should learn, but they don't, and they, they know more than I do, and other books I've read about Muslim believers, it doesn't, that doesn't produce faith, but it starts them on a journey, and then later they end up um, coming to faith. And so often it's not these miraculous signs that bring faith into people. So what shall we do? What do we do? So Peter responds, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized. You hear that a lot as you read the scriptures. I repent and be baptized. We hear that. We, I mean, we read it. But sometimes I think what we hear is repent and or be baptized. But it's always, it's like a, it goes together. Repent and be baptized. Some of us, some, sometimes we think, oh, I'm just going to repent. And if I don't get baptized, as long as I repent, that's what really counts, right? Let's, repenting is what's most important. But other people think, well, baptism, like, it's hard to repent. But I've been baptized, and so I'm good. I mean, neither of that is scriptural. Neither of that is, is found uh, anywhere in Jesus' teaching or the teachings of the apostles. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you. Every one of you. Who's he talking to? He's talking to, to, to Jewish people, right? Israelites. Fellow Israelites, he says over and over again. People of God. People of the covenant. And, and others who are in Jerusalem. But he says, every one of you, be baptized. 
for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is, is it's an initiation. It's something that, it's like an initiation rite. And baptism existed before Christians too. Baptism existed before Jesus. There were baptisms that happened. This is another one of those things that isn't just originally a Christian rite or a Christian uh, initiation, whatever. Um, Jewish, uh, baptism existed in Judaism as well. And people who um, were, were Gentiles, they were not born of a Jew, but they, they were proselytes and they came in, they wanted to be part of the people of God, they, they were baptized. And then now, now they're part and also circumcised. But it's good to know what you're getting into, right, before you get it. But they, they would be baptized in, so it was for people to, to come into the, the covenant people of God who were not born into it by, by their family, right? So it's, and John the Baptist, right? He was baptized. That's a different kind of baptism. But baptism was there. It's a way for people to bring it. But he's telling you, Jewish people, be baptized, right? Isn't that odd? Right? I mean, we're already in, aren't we? We're all, like, you know, I've been for centuries. I'm Jew. My father's a Jew. And his father's a Jew. And, but Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then 3,000 people believe and are added to the number that day. In just a few short, short centuries, uh, the early church went from like 120 people, like there were more, right? When Jesus was teaching, like the hillsides were filled and tons of people ran. They, they wanted to, and they were fed, you know, by just thousands and thousands of people. But then at the Passover, when he was killed, and when he was crucified on a cross, a lot of people, like there's only 120 people left, according to Acts chapter 1. 120 people believers were there in the upper room, praying, waiting for this promised. So, and then 3,000. And in a few short centuries, they became the most dominant um, force in the Roman Empire. And there's lots of other factors that play into this, but they weren't given a status of privilege at first. They repented, they were baptized, and received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, this, what happened on the day of Pentecost is crucial for us as, as believers because this is, this is the birth of the church. It's like we should have birthday cake today maybe and celebrate, but we do that for baptisms. Um, it's before there was no church, there was a gathering of people and, and God sent his spirit. He started this new covenant when people were gathered together. That, that's important too. They, they were gathered together, praying, and they're waiting. And our culture, we're very individualistic, right? And that affects our faith. And sometimes it's detrimental in the way it affects how we relate to God and how we relate to other people in the family of God. But it's, um, it's not a one-on-one thing. Like love God and others, right? Love God and love others. Like it's, it's both. And it even says in the scriptures, like, if you don't love others, you don't love God. It's easy to say, oh, I love God. Not him, but I love God. No, according to the scriptures, right? You, don't, you have to love others. That means you're loving. So it's really important, this community aspect... And we see it happening on the day of Pentecost when the church is born, they were gathered together. And so it's important for us to keep meeting together. It's important for us to recognize that this is a family. We've talked about this before, brothers and sisters. And we have physical families and nuclear families, but this is our spiritual family. And this is even more important. So you have more in common, I said this before, you have more in common with a Christian in communist China than you do with your sister who's not a believer. If you can wrap your head around that. Because we're here only because of Jesus, right? Like we have so many different you know, sports teams that we like, different food we like, different activities, and maybe we wouldn't even hang out with each other except for Jesus. 
So we have so much in common with each other. The community aspect is very important. And baptism is a communal, um, something that happens in, in a group as well, when the church meets together. If you haven't been baptized, we would love to, to start that conversation with you. And any given Sunday, that thing right there, we fill that baptism tank up, and it's warm-ish. You know, some, some Sundays are warmer than the other. But it doesn't matter. Uh, any given Sunday, we can do it. We've done it two Sundays in a row before. We've, so if you would like to start that conversation, at least, we would love to hear from you. You can talk to Pastor Jordy or Pastor Sam or myself, or it doesn't have to be a pastor, uh, someone else, or, and uh, let's, let's start that conversation. Repent and be baptized. And some of you may have been baptized, but not really fully repented. So maybe you just need to take some time this week and, and re- remember repent is 100 and, not 360, but 180. I was doing things my way. I knew I shouldn't be doing these things. I knew what God was saying, but I'm doing this, and you repent, and then get baptized. And so maybe you were baptized, but not fully repentant. So that's something that you might want to consider. Or maybe you're fully repentant, but not baptized. And so we don't pick and choose the commandments of Jesus to follow. We, we do our best. Well, I mean, okay, we do, but we, we're not supposed to, right? Like, we're full followers of Jesus, and as best as we can, we follow him. And so if you would like to start that conversation, at least, please, please talk to us. This is the birth of the church. It's very important for us. There's a whole bunch of things in there, and we could talk about so much more. I hope that God was speaking to you today, today and you took some notes. Email them to yourselves. Go over them. Um, if you want to send questions in by um, email or if you want to phone or meet with other people, we'd love to keep talking this conversation. But Pentecost is a very important day for us as the church. So next week, as we gather together, we'll look at Trinity Sunday and why the Trinity is very important to us. Let me pray for you, and then the music team will come back up. Heavenly Father, we, we, I, I love, we love, I'm pretty sure I can speak for everyone, the fact that we live in this era of the new covenant. We live by the Spirit, and we have been fully empowered by you as you dwell within us to do what you've asked us to do. So fill us with your spirit. Continue to refresh us. Lord, we thank you that your plan is just so amazing and how you overlap. We see it so intentional from the very beginning with the day of Passover and then the day of Pentecost and how you recreate and you, you bring to fulfillment everything that you put into place from the very beginning. So we, we love your plan. And we commit ourselves to you. You are the Lord and you know best. And today, your Holy Spirit is alive. We don't see tongues of fire over our heads, but we feel your presence within us and you speak to us. You illumine the scriptures to us. You comfort us. And Lord, I just pray that you would make that a reality for each and every one of us. If you have spoken to us today, don't let us forget. Don't let us shove it aside. Keep reminding us gently. Give us the courage. Give us the power simply to do what you're asking us to do. We trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.